Well, I want to welcome you to our new series, Who's Kidding Who? Parenting is no joke. How many of you are parents or grandparents? Let me see your hands. Excellent. If you are here and you are not a parent or not a parent yet, I don't want you to think that this is irrelevant to you because a lot of the principles that we're going to be looking at, you can apply in your own life and your relationships as well. So just want you to be aware of that as we go through the series together. And then I want to also say that this is going to be a tremendous time of both inspiration from the Word of God and encouragement to those of you who are parents because I think parenting has to be one of the biggest challenges in the world. Don't you? Yes, a great challenge. And if I can get, get you just cut those lights a little bit so I can see the balcony, I'd appreciate it without necessarily making me disappear. Thank you very, very much for doing that. Good. Um, I want to start, though, by telling you a little story. Something happened to me um, about, um, about a month and a half ago. I was in San Diego, California, suffering. And uh, I, was actually at a, I was actually at a meeting of pastors in our association. And every morning I would go down and I would run on this paved road that went by the beach. And as I would run, I would pray and have my time with God. And I, I just so enjoyed it. And on the third morning out, I was having a great run. I was talking to God. Things are going along really well. And as I'm running and talking to God, I get to where the pavement narrows. And I don't want to get run over. So I hopped over on this hard-packed trail that I'd been running on the day before. And so I'm running along when all of a sudden, my right foot, while I'm in stride, catches on, I think, like a clump of dirt or something. And I can't stop myself. And it, you know, it felt like slow motion, you know, that feeling? And I'm like, I'm going like this, and it, it, was, it was like a 747 coming in for a landing. The landing gear went out, right? And uh, I came to a complete stop. And after I repented of saying some not nice things, and your pastor is not perfect, sorry. And if you are just, uh, you know, taken back by that, I've, the, uh, the elders have, you know, dealt with me and I think I'm going to be all right, okay? But I, I quickly repented and then I got up and I did what I'm sure a lot of you have done. Have you ever been in the mall or maybe out in our atrium area or at a park or someplace with people around and you're just walking along and, you're, and your foot kind of catches a bit and you do one of those things? Does that ever happen to anybody here? All right. Have you ever noticed how we act when that happens to us? Have you ever watch people when that happens? They always do this. You know, because you were just deathly afraid somebody saw it and we don't want, to, you know, we don't want them to think there's something wrong or worry with us. Or, or we kind of look at the floor like, you know, I mean, something reached up and grabbed me. I... Careful, don't, don't walk there. Don't, you know, I, I, I saved the day for the rest of you. But, you know, and we, we just keep on going in denial as though it never happened. Well, that's what I did. I got up and I looked really quick. How many cars saw me? Everything's okay. There's no problem here. I just kept running. And while I'm running, I looked down and I noticed that I've taken a big hunk off of my uh, right hand, a big piece of flesh, and I've got blood coming down my wrist. So I was, it was a real man moment. I spit on it. And I took the sleeve of my other sweatshirt and I kind of rubbed it out. And man, did it sting. Now, I'm a Band-Aid freak. Anybody else here? Marsha just, she hides the Band-Aids from me because the little, littlest owl we hang down, man, I got a Band-Aid on it right away. So like, I am just craving a massive Band-Aid. So I, I went and I got some Neosporin. I bought a Band-Aid like this big and I slapped that thing on, you know, and, and kind of walked around. And I actually have a scarf. Can you guys get a close-up of this? Oh, I'm just kidding, all right? Uh, um, anyway, so you're saying, why are you telling us that story? I have no idea. Actually, I'm telling you that story because that is like life, isn't it? 
especially as parents. Think about it as parents for a minute. You are going through life, single parent, mom and dad together. Think about this. You are going through life. You're praying. You're praising God. You're going to church. You're doing everything right. And bang, all of a sudden, you take a fall. Maybe you take a, a, a physical hit. You know, something physically goes wrong with you that you weren't expecting or one of your kids. Or maybe you take an emotional hit. Or maybe you take a financial hit like so many have in this last uh, five, six months. You weren't expecting it at all. Or maybe your kids, you know, uh, take a hit at school. You know, there's a bully that picked on them. Or, or maybe one of your kids, uh, you know, is flunking a class. Or, or maybe one of your kids uh, gets into some kind of trouble. And, and, you know, it's just interesting to me in the western suburbs especially, when stuff like that happens to us, we're so image-driven that the first thing we do is we get up and we look around like, Oh, I don't want anybody to see what's wrong with my family. I don't want anybody to know about that. And we just kind of, you know, put a little band-aid over it and we keep on running. But we have this immense sting in our life. It hurts. And what we're going to do in this series, we're going to talk about what causes the hurts and, and how do we overcome them as, as families and how do we deal with them in terms of our relationships. But in order for this to work, we have to go back and start at the very, 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 very beginning before we even become parents. So let's start at the beginning. What a handsome groom and beautiful bride. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Eric and Karen. Give them a hand as they're coming down the aisle. Very, very nice. All right. Handsome groom. Beautiful bride. And I want to tell you that they represent every one of us who's ever been married, who is married, who are parents. It's so interesting that when we first come down the aisle, there are strange things that are going on subconsciously in our minds. I want to start with the bride first because there's a thought process that's going on in her mind at the wedding. And it's a culmination. It's happening way back here behind, you know, the, is this a veil? Behind the veil, all right? And, And she doesn't even know it, but it goes something like this. She's coming down the aisle. She's thinking to herself, this is it. This is what I dreamed of when I was a little girl that I would be married someday. I'm going to marry this handsome guy and we're going to live happily ever after. And, and he's going to make these promises to me that he's going to keep vows. You know, the pastor says, do you promise to have and to hold, you know, to love and to cherish with this, till death do us part according to God's holy word. And I pledge you my faith. And, you know, we go through the whole vow thing and we're like, yes, he's saying it. He's promising to be faithful to me, to love me, to cherish me, to keep me when I'm sick. And, you know, till death do us part. And he's doing it in front of God. He's doing it in front of the pastor. He's doing it in front of my dad. He's doing it in front of everybody else. Yes, we are just going to have a wonderful life together. The guy, however, he's got something else going on in the back of his head. All right? And not what you guys are thinking about. All right? He's got something else going on in the back of his head. He's coming down the aisle. And, you know, mano y mano. Men, you, you and I get this, right? Women don't. But listen in, ladies. Listen, we're coming down the aisle. And we have the hunter instinct in us, right? So it's like we were out hunting. And we were looking for a woman, right? And, and we scope in on you, right? Oh, that's the one I want, Right? And then, and then we go and we, we capture you, right? And, and it's kind of like, if 
for a guy, it's like a Tarzan moment. Remember Tarzan? <laughs> right? You know, like, yeah. So, so like we're coming up the aisle, but but we're bringing our woman up the aisle, our trophy, right? Our victory. So we get up there, and we're standing there, and then all of a sudden it hits us because our minds don't work as fast as, as a woman's mind, right? A little bit slower, and all of a sudden we go, what have I done? <laughs> I remember, Marsha, I remember feeling that way after, after our wedding. It's like, what have I done? All right? It's your problem. All right? And, and I just, because all of a sudden I was like, Oh, responsibility. All right? I, I felt that way after we had... It's another moment when guys have this. After our, our oldest son, Ben, was born, I was like, what have I done? All right? I mean, what, what am I doing? What's going to happen? Right? We get really insecure. And right away, we start thinking to ourselves, I got to provide. I, I got to provide for her. And if I'm going to have kids, I'm going to provide for my, for, for my, my kids as well. And... So we really get into our career. So let me show you, for example. Open says me. All right? Um, here's what happens. <laughs> you guys are so easy. Anyway. So we get a career, right? And, and oftentimes, three out of five women who get married have a career as well. And, and it creates just a little bit of wedge in our relationship. Not a huge wedge, but a bit of a wedge. We're still married. We still love each other. We're still holding hands. We're still making it through life. Now, here's the deal. Ready? Guys have a tendency to get married to their career as well as to their spouse. Now, I, I suppose a, a wife can get married to her career as well. That does happen. But men have a tendency, more, are more likely to do that. And what happens is they start getting rewards if their job's going well. They start getting rewards for that, and, and that becomes, you know, kind of meaningful to them. Now, you've got to keep that in mind, because it's going to play into our scenario here. So, they go out and get the jobs, and then, then it's time to pick up a, a hobby, like, like a sport, right? And so, the guy has a little bit of free time, so let's say he takes up golf, all right? And we've got to kind of do the Michelangelo thing, right? Barely touching, right? Right? And, and of course, she's in a nesting mode, Right? So she's building a home. She goes shopping, right? And I've never seen one of these at Macy's, but anyway, you go shopping. So now all of a sudden, have you noticed what's happening? They're kind of what? Drifting apart, right? A lot of stuff getting in the way. And then something interesting happens. I haven't done a study on this, but I think it may be true. It's usually a precursor to having children in a couple's life. Here's what they do. They test it out first by getting a pet, all right? So... They go out and they get like a pet dog or a pet cat or a, or a pet duck, okay? And they try it out. How does this work? And of course, you're adding more to the whole deal and it's not so bad. And then, then comes the day, right? She comes out and she says with a glow on her face, guess what, dear? We're what? Now, you modern young people, you say we're pregnant. When I, you know, Marsh and I was like, she was pregnant, okay? I'm not pregnant. All right? So, so it's like, we're pregnant. All right? Now, here's what's really interesting. When that baby is born, that baby goes into the spotlight. Right? All of a sudden, the most important thing in that couple's life is junior or juniorette. Okay? The other stuff... You know, the, the animal kind of gets tossed to the, the back, right? And, 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 you know, golf goes on, hold for a little while, and 
Shopping still stays there. You got a kid now, right? <laughs> Business, you crunch in. But the child takes the spotlight, the center stage. Now, I, you know, you hear me talking about being a grandfather, but, you know, my little granddaughter, Catalina, who's coming next week, I can't wait, uh, is, is really in the spotlight in, my, in, in Marcia in my life. I mean, now we want, to, we want to talk to our daughter every week, every day if possible, on Skype, and we don't want to see her or Pablo, we want to see our granddaughter. <laughs> show us the baby, all right? You guys, just show us the baby. But, you know, we cannot get enough of my granddaughter right now. She is truly the cutest child in all of Texas and perhaps the world. But anyway, and it's interesting for us to watch our daughter and, and our son-in-law because, because, you know, you don't see them without Catalina, right? And, and every time she smiles, there's a what? Ah, there's a picture, a million pictures. Can't get enough pictures. So she is like so much in the spotlight. Now, here's the deal. Kids are demanding. Would you agree, parents? All right. Kind of a groan in there, but anyway. And you kids, hang in there, all right? Your kids here, all right? I'm going to beat up on your parents a little later on. But anyway, uh, kids are demanding, right? And have you noticed that as kids get older, they don't get less demanding? Have you noticed that? The older kids get, the demands change, but be, they, they, want, they still want the spotlight, Right? And, and in fact, if dad, if dad tries to interfere here and, and he tries to kind of take over spotlight, what happens? The child acts up, right? It's like, hey, hey, that place belongs to me. Mom tries to do it. You can go back, all right? You're out of spotlight. Even mom ends up being a servant of this child. And the older they get, the more demands they make. And they make and they make and they make. Even when they're like 20 and 30 and 40 years old and still at home, they're making demands. <laughs> right? I mean, once you're in the spotlight, do you want to give it up? Absolutely not, right? I mean, that would be a foolish thing to do once we're in the spotlight. But here's the deal. When a man and a woman join together, the Bible says the two should become what? One. Same word used in Deuteronomy 6. The Lord our God is one. It is a sacred holy union. I never have read it in the Bible where it says that the child becomes part of the one relationship. Doesn't happen. So... What happens in parenting is i got to figure out how to keep the oneness thing going when I've got a third and a fourth and a fifth or however many kids I have. How do I keep my relationship with my spouse in the spotlight when I've given it to the kid and when I try to move the kid out of it, they, they scream, act up, have a fit, and all the other stuff that goes with it. We're going to talk about how to do that in just a moment. First, we're going to let our bride and groom. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Um, I want us to talk for a moment about God's positioning system. The way you raise a healthy family, in order to have a healthy family, just jot this down, you've got to have God's positioning system. Now, the question is, what is God's positioning system? And to answer that, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 with me this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. We're in a section now in the book of Ephesians where Paul is dealing with Christian living. He's been talking a lot about the church, and he's going to use some illustrations about the church, but in doing that, he's going to talk about how Christians should live their lives. He's going to deal with all kinds of issues. But the first thing he does in Ephesians 5, beginning actually in chapter 4, verse 17, is he gives instructions about Christian living, and he starts by orienting everybody to God. In essence, what Paul is saying is, in everything you say, think, and do, make sure it's God-inspired. And one of the most... uh, powerful verses in that passage is found in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 and here's what it says 
Paul says in that passage, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So what he's saying, students, is this. He's saying, look, rather than running around and being high on drugs or running around and letting alcohol kind of control you, he says, be drunk on God's Spirit. Be drunk on God's Spirit. Let the Spirit of God control your behavior, your thinking, and all of your actions. So he says, God first. Then what's interesting to me is the next thing that he tackles, and he does it, I think, specifically in this order, is he deals with marriage. So come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Now, I'm not here to necessarily pull that passage apart except to say this. Paul's saying, put God first, and then as you live your life out of God's spirit, he says, man, love your wife the way Christ loved the church, which is sacrificial. Then he says to the wife, wife, love your husband the way a person would respond to Jesus if he were loving them. So guys, what's our mandate? To love our wife like Jesus loved the church, like he loved human beings. And he loved us even when we weren't always very nice, right? Guys, right? Yeah, that's right. God says you love your wife like Christ loves the church by always, always living and loving toward her in a sacrificial way, no matter how she is or isn't behaving. And then, ladies, he's saying, you need, as your husband tries to treat you that way, you need to love him back, respect him, something that men just long for in their relationships. Respect him. So for those of you who aren't married yet, might be married someday, pick up on that, right? Pick up on that. Look for a wife, guys, who's going to respect you. And, and gals, look for a man who's going to love you the way Christ does. And don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for anything less. Now look what Paul does. You come to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and Paul then finally deals with parenting. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy a long life on earth. Now, students, I know there's more over here, but... Those of you who have not filled the section up, I can't buy you a pizza and everything yet. But anyway, that's your challenge. But listen to me. What's God saying to the Apostle Paul? He's saying to you, learn to honor your parents, respect them, and God says he'll bless you and give you a long life. So it's a blessing that comes with that when you and I choose to do that toward our family. And then he goes on and he gives some uh, direction to fathers there. Now what I want you to see at this moment is there's God's positioning system. It starts with a relationship with God, first priority. Second priority, with my mate. And finally, with my children. Now, I wanted to go over all that with you because we have a reversal of that in our culture, especially in materialistic and uh, up-and-coming America and the western suburbs. What we have done is we have reversed it around. We have put kids first, then our marriage, and then God. And that is not the structure God established. Now, I know there are many kids who are neglected. I am not here in any way to to take away from that. 
But as I observe the culture we live in, in our region, I would say to you, generally speaking, parents have really bought into this idea, somebody's really sold them the idea that my, that my kids come first, then my marriage, and then God. That's a dangerous thing. Because it means I'm doing a lot of it in my own wisdom, in my own strength, and by my own energy. I'm not taking for what God wants me to do if I were to turn it the other way around. And what we've got to understand as parents is the best thing that we can do for our kids, the best thing we can do for our children is to keep our marriage strong and solid. The best thing we can do is to keep our spouse in the spotlight, not our kids. Did you hear that? Keep our spouse in the spotlight, not our kids. Why? Because you and your spouse are going to stay together till one of you is taken home by the Lord. I know about the divorce rate and all that. If you've been divorced, I'm sorry you've been through that. But rather than dealing with what happened in the past, let's talk about this marriage or, your, or you know, whoever you are going to marry. Let's make up our minds we're going to make this one work. So don't feel guilt and shame with this. Let's start today. Let's make this one work. You've got to keep your marriage in the spotlight and not your kids. Why? Because of this definition of parenting. It's not original with me, but I do like it. Write this down. Parenting is teaching and training your children to leave. Parenting is teaching and training your children to leave. Like I said earlier, if they've been used to being in the spotlight, they don't want to leave, especially if it's really good. They want to stay. And so, like I said, stay way past when they should. Marsha and I have raised three children. And I'm telling you what, I, we love Ben and Beth and Tim. We love them so much. I pray for my children multiple times a day. They are always, in a sense, always, always, always on my mind. There's nothing I would not do for them. I care deeply for them. I love it when they come home to visit us. And I love it when, when my, my daughter brings uh, Catalina to visit us. And pretty soon when Benicero will bring their baby in a couple more months to visit us. Oh man, I love it. But I also love it when they leave. Because I have my wife. My life is not built around my children as important as they are to me. It's built around God, first of all. And I am in love with my wife. I'll be married 30 years in a couple weeks. And I love my wife. And I just feel like I'm getting started. just feel like I'm getting started. And, uh, And I enjoy the times that we're together. Which is weird because we have a couple friends. I remember in particular one situation where a couple friend, their, their last kid was about to leave the house. And, and one of them was very, very upset. Here's why. Their whole lives have been focused on their kids. The kids were leaving. And one of them wasn't sure how the other one was going to now feel about them now that there was not going to be any kids in the house. That's scary, isn't it? When you've become so, so separated, so distant, so drifted apart from each other, it's been so much about the kids, you're wondering, do we still love each other? Will he or she still love me? Are are we still going to be together on this thing? Will I still matter? Man, that should not happen. That should not happen. Your spouse should know that the whole way along because, because you have kept them in the spotlight. Now, I want to really bring this home application-wise. So I want to talk to you about just one, one little bit of application. I want to talk to you about attention this morning. Who are you paying attention to in your family, whether you're a single parent or mom and dad together? Who are you paying attention to in your family? 
I want to suggest to you that we pay way, I know I'm getting in trouble for this, but I don't care. We pay way too much attention to our children when we ought to be paying attention to our spouse. And the best thing for my kids is for me to pay attention to my spouse. Keep my marriage strong. But for some reason, we bought into this mindset that's all about the kids. So we run around chasing our kids, trying to give them everything they want. Uh, You know, what is their problem? What is their need? How can I help? We want to be their best friend. How can I keep you entertained? How can I make you happy? And listen, listen carefully. Your kids actually, and I'm right, aren't I kids? They get to a certain age when they don't want you following them around. Am I right? When they don't want you to be their best friend. They don't want you to dress mom like Britney Spears. All right? Dad, they don't need you to come out with a brand new tat and an earring or whatever it is and try to look cool and, you know, connect with them. You know, like, you're their parent, so please be my parent. All right? But, you know, I watch and I see what's going on in the culture. It's like we, we have stopped being parents. And, and we're trying to, like, fit in and be cool. And, and, you know, what do they want? What do they need? What can I give them? How can I help? Listen carefully. If you do that to your kids, put them in the spotlight, give all the attention to them, give them whatever they want, you are going to turn out mean-spirited, snotty little brats. That's the truth. Am I right? That's what's going to happen. If you feed, if you feed a child from day one and give them everything you want, listen carefully to me, you will turn out children who have the mindset and the attitude that the world owes them. If you want to know why, in part, we're having this economic struggle in our country, it is that mindset. It's the mindset that others owe me and I don't have to take responsibility for what I need to do. I'm right, okay? But if you don't like it, listen, if you don't like that, it, you, gotta go, you can't blame the kids. You've got to go back and say, what's going on in the family? I've got to teach my kids to take some ownership and some responsibility to appreciate and value what they do receive and sometimes to go without. See, I think what happened is prior to the baby boomers, that whole generation had very little, and they didn't want that to happen to their kids, so they gave them lots of things so their kids wouldn't grow up to be, have to go through the pains that they did. Then the boomers got really materialistic, right? We uh, spent our lives working, working, working. We felt like we were neglecting our kids, so what did we do? We came along and we bought them stuff to try to make them happy to deal with our own guilt. That's, that's what's happened. And that's what we've got to kind of reverse and stop because it hasn't worked real well. The other aspect of attention, too, out, this is my last little hobby horse, is, um, is I'm amazed. It's changed so much from when I was a kid, at least the way I was raised, at how defensive parents are over their children. If a kid gets in trouble at school these days, it's always the administration or teacher's fault. Rarely do you find a parent who says, all right, what did you do? And I, and I know you well enough. I know that teacher didn't do that. I know, and we're going to get the bottom of this. Boy, that's how my parents were. I mean, teachers could never be at fault. And I, always had, I did something, and it got rooted out, right? There's no respect for civil authority. It's never the policeman's fault. It's never the fire chief's fault. It's never anybody in authority's fault. My kid could not have done that. And you got parents defending their kids when they ought to be spanking their kids. I'm sorry I said that word. When they ought to be disciplining their kids. When they ought to be disciplining their kids. You guys love this, don't you? You're like, yeah, preach it, pastor. Tell them. (laughs) Right? But that's the deal, right? And that's what we're doing. Why are we doing that, mom and dad? Because we feel so guilty. We feel absolutely so guilty because we're not 
we're not putting our spouse in the spinner light. We're not being the kind of mom and dad we ought to be. And, and when, if it happens to our kids, it's a reflection on us, and we don't want to own that, so it has to be somebody else's fault. You have got to get the attention thing down. You've got to get your marriage in the right spot. God first, my, my marriage second, and then my kids. Give them attention, appropriate attention, but they can't run the ship, which takes me to scheduling. Who schedules your life? I'm amazed the number of parents who allow their kids to determine their schedule. Shame on you for letting the kids determine your schedule. That's not the way God set it up. You're supposed to build structure into your kid's life. And so I want to talk about one aspect of scheduling, and it's called bedtime. (laughs) Say it with me. Bed. Just this group. Ready? Together. Ready? Bedtime. One more time. Bedtime. Do you feel the energy? First of all, I love you guys. Secondly, you fill that section, I'm buying you pizza. All right? I'm with you. I'm for you. All right? But this is like when you've got to take the medicine that doesn't taste good. All right, bedtime. Okay? In our home, growing up, our children always had a bedtime. Even when they became teenagers, there was a bedtime. My wife has a rule. And she has preached this her whole life. Just ask my adult kids. Nothing good happens after 11 o'clock at night. So you have to be home. And, and I, even as my kids have gotten older, you know, and are home, I cannot sleep till I know every one of them is home. So if I have to stay up to 2 a.m. waiting for the garage to go, then I can finally fall asleep. So I'm not willing to stay up to 2 a.m. You've got to be home by... And we've had, our, our, we've had our set times. Why do I have those set times? Because all through our marriage, I've wanted to have time with my wife. And oftentimes, we can't get it done during the day. We can't spend time. I'm at work. She's doing her thing. We can't connect. We can't converse. We can't just sit down and talk about what's going on in life. The evening is the best time for us. So time to go to bed. Why do I have to go to bed? I want to spend some time with your father or I want to spend some time with your mother. We want to be together. Single parents, listen to me. You also need to, I know you deal with a lot because there's a lot of pressure on you, but you still have to create time when you can be alone or when you can be with good godly friends and just have a different kind of conversation. But mom and dad, you need that time together and you have to structure it. I have never met a child who's come up and said to the parent, you know what, you guys need some time together. I'm going to go to bed at 6 a.m. or p.m. Don't worry about it, Mom and Dad. I'm going to go up there, read my Bible, have my devotions. And you guys just have a great time. In fact, I'm going to vacuum the, the, the hallway upstairs and doss and deal with dishes. And I want you guys three days a week. I'm going to be in bed at 6 p.m. You guys enjoy yourselves. Right? Never met a kid like that. And when a kid offers to do that, I always wonder what's wrong. Something's not right. Right? You have to structure it for them. Which leads me to the last thing, deep application. I want to talk to you about dating your mate. You've got to date your mate. You've got to keep the fire alive. You've got to keep the romance alive. There has to be, you've got to create that time, schedule that time to take your spouse out. To have a good time. To go out to a movie, if that's your thing. To go for a walk, to play tennis, go to dinner, whatever it is. But you have got to schedule that date. You have to date your mate. You can't let yourselves drift so far apart that, that you forget about that. You've got to put them in the spotlight. So let's say you spend, let's say you lay down 50 bucks a week for a date. For a Dutchman, that's pretty, that's, you know, that's, that's a lot of money, right? 
So let's say you lay out 50 bucks a week for your date. Over a year, what does that equal? 2,600 bucks you're going to invest on a $50 date. Now let me ask you this question. How much do you have to pay to hire a divorce lawyer? A lot more than 50 bucks a week. What will a divorce cost you? The statistics tell us, the professionals tell us that financial security always accompanies long-lasting marriages. So don't think about this money you have to spend. Think about it as an investment you're making into your spouse. And if mom and dad, if husband and wife are close, then kids are going to be healthy and kids are going to be blessed. And not only that, they're going to have a model as they leave the home and form their relationships. Amen? All right. So on your way out this morning, you're going to receive this little uh, half sheet from the ushers. I think they have them, right, Darcy? And it's a little 10-question quiz for you to take as a parent or as parents. And it's one of those things we answer never, sometimes, always. And I want you to take it together, and I want you to use it as a discussion point this week. And I want you to improve as many as you can from the never to the always, all right? And uh, find stronger and healthier relationships. It's going to be a great series. You're going to get a lot of help. And a lot of that help is going to come from the Word of God. And listen carefully, from the, what? The Spirit of God. Aren't you glad that we have God to help us in our families? God to help us in our marriage? So I'm going to have Jeremy come back up. And, and I, want us to, I want us to close with praise this morning. Praise for God. And I just want to say to you young people and kids, I just want you to know that God loves you. And your parents love you as well. And uh, in this parenting series... I hope that you'll be encouraged too, all right? Because I do care deeply about you.